course, at this time of year, it is traditional to look at Luke chapter 2. Many of you will probably read Luke chapter 2 tomorrow morning, I would guess. We read there of Joseph and Mary's trip to Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus, uh, the angel's announcement to the local shepherds. But this Christmas Eve, I want to look at an event just before all of that happens. And this seems appropriate since today we are gathered just before Christmas Day. It's Christmas Eve and we are all excited about what's coming tomorrow. This might be for a lot of reasons. Kids, there might be a present that you know is under the tree and so you are just dying and can't wait for that. You're excited. Parents, maybe you're excited about sleeping in tomorrow, right? As if that would happen. Maybe you're, uh, you're excited about a day off of work or simply to be gathered with so much of your family. These are all good reasons to be excited about what's coming. But now in Luke 1, we'll find people who are like us, who are, who are getting ready for Christmas, and they are excited too, but for far better reasons. Now kids, if you don't have one yet, there are coloring sheets related to today's sermon back on the soundboard. If your parents want you to have one, there's some more back there. All right, so let's start reading in Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying... Now let's stop right there, okay? We have obviously jumped into the middle of the story. So I want to make sure we know the story up to this point. Zechariah was a priest in Israel... He was married to a woman named Elizabeth, and they were both faithful to God, and they were both very old. They had no children because Elizabeth was barren. They had tried to have children, but they could not. And so this story begins when Zechariah is serving in the temple. He is burning incense to the Lord, and an angel appears to Zechariah and announces or tells him that Elizabeth, his barren and far too old wife, is going to have a son, give birth to a son. And as you might expect from a birth announced that way, whenever that happens in the Bible, God has a very strategic plan for that baby. And the same is true here. The angel said to him, you shall call his name John, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him. That is, Zechariah's son will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, for Zechariah, this, was, uh, this announcement was really hard to believe. And, and Zechariah explained to the angel how all of this was impossible because of his age and his wife's age. He didn't believe. And so the angel announces that until the baby is born, Zechariah will not be able to speak. And so sure enough, his wife, Elizabeth, barren and far too old, becomes pregnant. And after nine months without hearing her husband's voice, she delivers a baby boy. Her relatives, of course, want to call him Zechariah because that's his dad's name. But Zechariah uses a writing tablet to insist that they call his name John. And when he does this, the Lord restores his ability to speak. And so I'm sure you can imagine this baby became the talk of the town. Elderly parents, very elderly parents, a barren mother, 
a father who can't speak while his wife is pregnant, and a name found nowhere else in the baby's family tree. Everyone is talking about little baby John. In verse 65, we read this, And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? And so that brings us back to verse 67. Verse 67, And his father, John's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now notice, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a prophecy. This is not just an accurate record of what Zechariah or someone else said. This is God's prophetic word given to God's people through the mouth of Zechariah. So what did he say? Verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So Zechariah begins this prophecy by praising the Lord, for he has visited and redeemed his people. When God visits, he comes to the rescue. We see this when he visits individuals in the Old Testament. He did this in Genesis 21 when the Lord visited Sarah, and Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. But God also visited his people, like he did in the Exodus when he came to Israel's rescue. Moses and Aaron told the people that the Lord had visited them, that he had seen their affliction. And this visit from the Lord would mean Israel's redemption. In Exodus 6, just before the the plagues all start, God says to Israel, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And now here in Luke 1, Zechariah prophesies that the Lord is about to visit his people again with redemption. But don't, don't miss that little note that Zechariah gave us in there. That note about how this this promise of salvation is the one that God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. The fulfillment of this promise was a long time coming. Kids, as you look at the presents under the tree, around, around your tree today, you may feel like tomorrow morning is never going to get here. Okay, that may be how you feel. But Israel has been waiting for God's promised redemption for a long, long time. In fact, Zechariah, who's very old, he's been waiting his whole life for this, and many, many lifetimes beyond. But it was the same with God's promise of a son for Abraham and Sarah. It was the same for God's promise of deliverance for Israel from Egypt. This is normal with God. He always fulfills his promises, but rarely as quickly as we would like him to. But now let's look at what this this redemption will look like. Verse 69. Verse 69. The Lord has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of of his servant David. Now that mention of a, of a horn might be a little confusing. We don't really talk like that today. But in the Bible, a horn often symbolizes things like strength, victory, and authority. And so a horn that comes from the house of David would be a king from the line of David. David, of course, if you know much about the Bible at all, has been or, or was king over Israel about a, about a thousand years earlier than Zechariah. He was not a perfect king by any measure, actually far from it. But the Lord loved David, and David loved the Lord. And the Lord promised David that his family, his family line would be established upon the throne over God's people forever. 
And that promise has been rehearsed and confirmed time and time again throughout the Old Testament by God's prophets until we come here to Luke chapter 1. In Luke 1, Zechariah's prophecy is the excited announcement that the promised Davidic ruler, that horn of salvation from David's house, he has come. He's here. And Zechariah knows who he is. Remember, he's the baby soon to be born to, catch this, to Zechariah's wife's cousin, Mary. Okay? Zechariah should have even known his name. For the angel told Mary that his name would be Jesus. Now, sure, right now he's still in the womb, but, but this little guy will be the greatest deliverer that God has ever raised up for his people. And, and this sounds like really good news for Israel, and it is. But is this also really good news for the rest of us? Okay? And that's a, that's a huge question, and a lot more could be said to answer it. But remember these few things. After Adam and Eve sinned, and they were exiled from the garden, God began revealing his plan to restore his blessing to the whole world. What did God promise Abraham? God said, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so God's plan is to restore his blessing, not to one family or to one nation, but to everyone who trusts him, to everyone who puts their faith in him like Abraham did. It's just like Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, saying, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So in other words, the people who will inherit God's promises of blessing made to Abraham, Abraham are the people who believe God like Abraham did. Abraham's children are marked by their faith. And so this is, this is good news that the promised son of David has come. It is good news for those who believe whether or not they are ethnic Israelites. Now, what will this promised Davidic ruler do for those who trust him? Look at verse 71. God has raised up this horn of salvation, verse 71, Zechariah says, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, you think about Israel's enemies. In Zechariah's day, the enemies that Israel had, probably they would have thought about Rome. In the Old Testament, of course, God's people had many enemies. You think back to all the stories you know from the Old Testament. There were the Egyptians, the Midianites, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and so on and so on. But in this coming of this son of David, Zechariah prophesies that God will deal with every single one of Israel's enemies. In the coming salvation, Israel, God's people, will have no enemies. None. God's people will experience security and safety and peace like they have never experienced it before. But the reign of Jesus Christ, this promised son of David, will mean freedom from far more than just Rome or the current political oppressor. Remember, after Adam and Eve followed the serpent, God told Eve that the serpent's offspring would oppose her offspring. So, so think in broader terms of, of all the forces that oppose God and oppose his people. This includes governments or cultures that persecute Christians with threats of ostracism or, or persecution or violence. And praise the Lord, this has not been the norm in America, but many of our brothers and sisters across the world live under constant political and cultural opposition to their faith. 
And even in our own experience here, it is, it is not a profound observation to observe that our culture is growing less and less tolerant of Christian beliefs and practices. And yet, this promise of salvation from our enemies includes even more than this. As Paul made clear in 1 Corinthians 15, he said this, Christ will destroy every rule and every authority and power. For Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so when Christ is done defeating his enemies, there will be no more death, which means no more sin. No more struggle for his people against the flesh, the devil, and against sin. The promised Davidic ruler will deal with every enemy that opposes God's people. In the words of Zechariah, blessed or praise be to the God of Israel who has redeemed and visited his people. Verse 72. Verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that they swore to our father. Zechariah is, is emphasizing here that God, in bringing this salvation, has seen our need, and in mercy he has acted to spare us from the fate that would have been ours under his judgment. It's, it's God's mercy enshrined in his covenant with Abraham that brings this great salvation to pass. And look at what will come of this salvation in verse 74. Verse 74, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now look at that again. God will deliver his people from their enemies so that we can enjoy the salvation of serving him. Okay? We have been delivered to serve. Now, our culture doesn't like that. Okay? Delivered to serve. It seems demeaning. It means that someone else's plan for us is more important than our plan for ourselves. In our culture, the goal is personal autonomy, personal determination, to feel that we can be whatever we want, our culture says that there is joy only if you can be who you really are. And to discover that, you have to look deep, deep within. But who we really are is not who we think we are, but who God made us to be. And so the greatest joy is to fulfill the purpose for which we were made, to bring glory to God by serving him. That is, by loving him with all of our being, by living obediently under his blessed rule, and by enjoying all that he is. That's what we were made for. That's who we really are. And this is also not a concession. Like, okay, Jesus defeats our enemies, but we have to serve him. It's like a trade-off, right? Yeah, we'll take it. Okay. No, for lack of a better way to say this, this is a dream come true. When our eyes were open to our sin, we dared not even hope for something like this. But here it is. Jesus has saved us, and we get to serve him. And so Zechariah's prophecy announces that the, the day of God's salvation has come through the reign of the promised Davidic ruler. And so there will be no longer any opposition for God's people. There will be nothing to fear, and we get to serve him in holiness and righteousness forever. Now look at verse 76. There is a significant development in Zechariah's prophecy. In verses 68 to 75, He's been describing God's salvation, which is about to arrive in the birth of this promised Davidic ruler, Jesus. But now, in verse 76, Zechariah turns to his son. 
Perhaps he's holding little baby John or, or watching him sleep from across the room. We don't know. But for this little child, Zechariah prophesies a special role in God's plan. Now remember, news of this child had spread all throughout Judea. Everyone's talking about him. And they're asking this question, what then will be for this child? And here is the answer. Verse 76. And you, child, little baby John, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So what will little baby John do when he grows up? Verse 76, he will go before the Lord, before the Messiah, before Jesus, to prepare his ways. How will he do that? Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So to prepare the way for Jesus, John is going to prepare the people. But what kind of preparation do the people need? How do you get ready for Jesus? Well, if this salvation means holiness, and righteousness in the lives of these people, then to enter this salvation, one must turn from sin. Israel has to turn away from their sin. They have to repent. And so John's role is going to be to call the people to repentance, that they might receive God's merciful forgiveness and enjoy his salvation. Forgiveness is a a blessing of God's salvation, but it's also the entry point into that salvation. Now, take one more look at at that mission that God has given John. What all is John supposed to say about this coming salvation? Is he supposed to go through a a list of all of the blessings to convince people that they should want this? No, John is supposed to tell the people about forgiveness. That's what his message should be about. His salvation, or, or there's, there's more to God's salvation than just forgiveness. There's purpose, joy, and wisdom, and many other things. But as we tell others about God's salvation through Jesus, we must tell them about the blessing of forgiveness. Sometimes we fall into the trap, or, are, or we're tempted to fall into the trap, of, of telling others about Jesus uh, as if they're just missing something, like, They need a purpose for their lives, or they need a reason to be joyful in hard times, or they need the guidance of God's word for decision-making. And those are all wonderful blessings from the Lord. But we need forgiveness because there's something wrong with us. We are sinners, and we need Jesus to forgive us, to save us. And so this is what John does. In Luke 3, as Bob read earlier, John went into all the region, all around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He even, I made sure Bob read this, he even calls out who? Herod for his sin. He's calling everybody to turn away from their sin and embrace Jesus for this baptism of repentance. He even calls out Herod, everybody to repent, to receive God's forgiveness, and to receive baptism. Now, this baptism is not the same as the baptism we see among Christ's followers after his resurrection. You can see those two things distinguished in Acts 19. This baptism publicly marked the people for their repentance and their readiness for God's salvation. And it would have been offensive to other Jews since such a, such a baptism meant that these people were not going to rely on their bloodline to Abraham for salvation, as some did. Now, for the last part of Zechariah's prophecy, look at verse 78. Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, 
whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So Zechariah finishes his prophecy with a metaphor. He speaks about the the coming of God's salvation through Jesus as if it were this great rising light, a light that first rescues people from darkness and then guides them into paths of peace. And this is not the first time or only time that that light is used to describe the coming of the Messiah. Brian read one earlier this morning. In Isaiah 9, we read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. For, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Malachi with which Zechariah seems to be very familiar in how he talks throughout this prophecy. Malachi also wrote this. He said, For you who fear my name, the Son, the S-U-N, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. And so the great rising light is the Messiah, the promised Davidic ruler, Jesus, and the salvation that he brings with him. To be without God's king, to be under someone else's rule, is to be in darkness and surrounded by death. King David knew this. You read in 2 Samuel, he said these words. He said, when one rules justly over men in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning. So David himself aspired to this kind of, this kind of rule as, as one of the Davidic rulers. And then as much as he ruled this way as God's chosen king, his reign was light and life to his people. But even King David could not overcome the darkness in his world, in his people, or even in himself. But now Zechariah knows that Mary is pregnant with his Lord the promised son of David, which means that the light of God's salvation is beginning to pierce through the darkness, to to dispel the shadow of death. And Zechariah's son has the privilege of being the one that gets to prepare God's people to step into the light of that sunrise. Now, as we finish this morning, I want to share just a few final things from this passage that I've been thinking about this week. First, I hope that you all, we all, Share Zechariah's excitement for what makes Christmas worth celebrating. Now, I know at this point in the story, Jesus hasn't even been born. And so it feels weird to say that they're excited about Christmas, but bear with me, okay? Zechariah is excited about his birth, okay? Because through Jesus, God has promised forgiveness. He will remember their sin no more. And remember, Zechariah needs this promise of forgiveness, Do you remember how this story started? It started with Zechariah's sin, his faithless response to the angel's announcement of his son's birth. Zechariah needs the forgiveness that God will provide through Jesus Christ, and so do we. We need Jesus' birth. We need Christmas because we need forgiveness. We need the eternal Son of God, born as a human baby, to live in holiness and righteousness, to die for our sin, and to rise from the dead. His sacrifice is the acceptable payment for our sin, so that we are are forgiven and we escape judgment to live forever under his rule. Now, at the beginning today, 
I said that we are all excited for Christmas tomorrow. But in a group this size, it is certain that for some, it's harder to get excited about Christmas. Maybe because you're reminded of those who won't be celebrating with you this year, or because it's hard for you to celebrate with the ones you, who can be with you. Okay? But Christmas is always worth celebrating. If we strip away every cultural aspect of our Christmas celebrations, the decorations, the gifts, the songs, even the family gatherings, strip all of these good things, good things away. And when all you have left is Jesus in the manger, Christmas is no less worth celebrating. Jesus was born to die for our sins and to rise from the dead that we might have life under his reign. And so I hope that regardless of your situation this Christmas, you share Zechariah's excitement for that. Now perhaps as we've read through the prophecy today about how wonderful God's salvation is going to be, you've thought something like, well, what happened? Okay, because like, I don't see all these things today. There are still enemies to God's people. I mean, rather than establish his reign in, in every way, completely put down all of his enemies, the promised Davidic ruler did what? He died. And then he did what? He ascended into heaven. But Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. In other words, God's salvation has come, but not completely. In his first coming, in his death and resurrection, Jesus did everything necessary to provide for us the forgiveness, the salvation that we need, the forgiveness that John announced. And at his second coming, he will bring in the fullness of all of God's salvation, which will include the defeating of all his enemies, all the enemies of his kingdom. So that brings up the question. So, so now, during this in-between time between his first and his second coming, what do we do? Two things. Number one, okay, when Zechariah describes the glory of our future salvation under the promised Davidic ruler, how does he describe our place in that salvation? What are we doing when, when, when Zechariah looks into that future? We are serving. We get to serve we get to be servants before the Lord. And now it, it will be wonderful in that day, that future day, when Jesus destroys all of his enemies and we get to serve Christ without fear. But we must not wait to serve him until he does that. And we don't need to wait. The joy of serving him is available to us right now. Christ actually prepared us for this. He told us that in this world, we will have tribulation. But take heart he has overcome the world. And so the light of his victory at the cross enables us to see with, with eyes and hearts of faith through the darkness around us and even in us. 2 Corinthians 4, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, God who created the light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In our hearts that turn from sin and faith to Christ God has created light. He has already begun to dispel the darkness within us through his gospel. But not only this, he's, he's given to us his spirit, promising to be with us to the very end of the age, and he's given us his church so that we can follow Christ together. And so the day is coming 
when Christ will defeat all his enemies, and there will not even be a reason to fear. But today, even in the presence of his enemies, in the light of his victory, we can serve him without fear. And so trusting him, let us love him with all of our being, live obediently under his rule, and enjoy all that he is. And finally, during this in-between time, between Christ's first and second coming, we must embrace John's mission for our time in God's plan. God raised up John for the unique role of preparing Israel for the first coming of Christ by calling them to repentance. And we have the privilege of preparing the world for his second coming by calling them to repentance. Today we have been at the beginning of Luke's gospel, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. But as we finish, I want you to turn with me to the very end of Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 24, verse 46. We've been at the beginning, waiting for the Messiah. But look at the very end, Luke 24, verse 46. At the very end of Luke's gospel, the Messiah has come, and he's about to leave. But just before he does, look at what he says to his followers. Luke 24, 46. Jesus says to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the, from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And so this is the mission for our time in God's plan. We are witnesses. And what was new in Zechariah's day is now of old. And so we are still waiting for the return of the promised Davidic ruler. And so while we wait, let us celebrate him and his salvation all the year, not just on Christmas, and let us serve him without fear as we call the world around us to repent and to believe and to serve him with us. Let's pray. Our Lord, we bless you this morning for how you have visited and redeemed us in Jesus Christ, risen and exalted. We have, we have been waiting a long time for him to come again. But you are a God who always keeps his promises. And so we ask that you would cause our faith to endure to the end. Thank you for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Thank you that you remember our sins no more. And we ask this morning for the grace we need for today to serve you without fear, though many reasons abound all around us. And we ask for the grace to boldly call this world around us to repentance and to faith in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.